in this edition of Hoopsology. Justin and Matt welcome NBC Sports contributor, the play-by-play voice of the Stocks and Kings of the G League, and the host of the Deuce and Mo podcast, Deuce Mason. Deuce discusses why the Sacramento Kings were so successful last season and how they plan on competing with a very tough Pacific division for the upcoming season. Deuce also discusses the phenomenon that swept the league last season known as Light Beam. This is a fantastic chat for not only Sacramento Kings fans, but for also fans just looking for rising media just within just the NBA space. Deuce was a fantastic guest. You don't want to miss this chat. And now, Deuce Mason. He is a NBC Sports contributor, the play-by-play voice for the Stocks and Kings of the G League, and the co-host of Deuce and Mo, one of my favorite NBA podcasts on the internet. We welcome Deuce Mason onto Hoopsology. Welcome, Deuce. Dude, thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks for the kind words too. I'm glad uh, other NBA fans dig it. You know, you, there's so many times you do a podcast, especially that's based a lot about Sacramento Kings that you know you don't know if other fan bases connect with it. But that's cool that you like it. Thank you, man. Yeah, no problem. Just a huge fan of just like, I think the rise of just this, you know, new media and just, you know, different um, perspectives on the league that you normally see, like with the talking heads on like the major networks. So it's cool just to see you know, your podcast doing this thing. I think you guys bring a unique perspective to the league. So just appreciate your content. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, not a problem. So let's hop into it. And the Sacramento Kings, I'll confess, I think for Matt and I, we try to cover the majority of the teams, but we slept on the Kings. Uh, I'll speak for myself just in terms of just our coverage. And last year, there just really, really blew up, right? Um, last year, going 48-34, Mike Brown's coach of the year. And I heard your interview with De'Aaron Fox and just him talking about Mike Brown, this, his experience with him. What has Mike Brown brought to this team? Because I think overall, I, in my opinion, Mike Brown's pretty disrespected as a coach, um, just within this hardcore and casual basketball fans. So what has he brought to the Kings just in terms of just morale and just kind of the X's and O's and just overall, just, uh, just a performance of this team. You know, Sacramento was in such desperate need for someone that could be a connector and they, they had so much losing. We're talking about the 16 year playoff drought. And obviously not all those players were connected with the star of the drought. There's a lot of players who've been through this, a lot of coaches, but I thought what Mike Brown came in immediately and just, he just brought structure, accountability and fun. I always equate the best coaches to me are like really great parents. Like you want to have fun with your parent, right? But you need a parent needs a parent, right? They, they, they have to hold their child accountable, right? There has to be some structure in their life. That's so important. I feel like the Kings need that as an organization. And one of the first things he said when he got the job was like, he believes that every great organization has a soul. Well, I'm of the opinion the Kings didn't have a soul. And he brought that back. He wanted everyone to be connected. And, you know, there's like little things you notice. You go to training camp, you don't want to make too much of it, right? Because everyone's in a good mood. It's like the first week of school. You know, everyone's kind of optimistic. But something I noticed early on was just like the little things where, they're bringing over like someone who works far behind the scenes and having the team sing happy birthday. Like, and, and just kind of trying to create this, like and foster a family environment, because if you can foster that and you can build trust, that's going to be a, going a long way to get organized on the floor and instill what you, the values you want for your basketball team. And um, I, I think he, he brought a lot to the table in that regard. And I also think just his time with golden state helped him, evolve in in a way right like you talk about him being disrespected 
he he was a head coach, young, a young head coach in the league. He had experience before that, but he was coaching LeBron with monster expectations. And he goes to LA and he's got to deal with like the Kobe Nash, Dwight Howard chaos. And that falls apart. He goes back to Cleveland and then the GM that hires him gets blown out. And then he's out of a job. That was the last you saw of Mike Brown. So I think that those experiences coupled with what happened in Golden State, he was totally ready for this moment. And I think he has, you know, helped the Kings really turn things around much quicker than I think a lot of people ever expected. Deuce, how big of a deal is it, do you think, that in spite of, you know, maybe some failures in those examples with his history that you give, I mean, how big of a deal of it is that he's able to come in there and say, hey, I've been to the conference finals. Hey, I've been on the bench for the Warriors yeah. for you know the organization that, as you mentioned, has that 16-year drought. I think it goes a long way. You know, you, you guys mentioned the De'Aaron Fox interview we had a couple of weeks back, and Fox kind of mentioned that too. The fact that like he coached Kobe, he coached LeBron, he's been around Steph and Katie and Draymond and Clay. I mean, you go back to even his Spurs days, right? W with Greg Popovich. Mm, so he's been around a lot of really talented teams, and I think he's well respected. And I think it's it's helped him from a credibility standpoint and it allows him like the ability to coach someone like De'Aaron Fox. Cause that's the other thing. You, you, I think one thing that he mentioned last year that stuck out with me was he felt like he could coach his guys because he could coach De'Aaron and Sabonis hard. And if you can coach your best guys hard, then everyone's going to buy in. And so last year that worked in a big time way. So when you mentioned the soul of this team, when did you see the soul of the Kings coming back? And once you saw that occur, did your expectations change of like not only the slasher, but the next five years of this franchise? You know, I, I'm trying to think of a specific moment because, you know, I, I think what many people forget about last year with the Kings is they started the season 0-4. So, you know, you could talk about the good training camp vibes and, oh, the soul's back and everyone's having fun. But then you come out of the gates 0-4. And so not only do you have fans questioning, is this the same old Kings, right? But that's a fragile point for a coaching staff and players. You're trying to get these guys to buy in and the results aren't there. They play competitively in those first four games. And I felt like that's where I felt a little different, where I'd seen the Kings start 0-5 to start a year, and it looked like a mess. This time around, I'm like, yeah, they're playing well. They're just not winning these games. Um, I thought one pivotal moment for me where I believe that, oh, this might be something, is uh, the TNT game. They're never on TNT. They play the Brooklyn Nets on TNT, and they put like up 150-plus points in regulation. And you just saw the potential of the offense. You saw that the offense was clicking much faster than I even thought. Like, usually it seems like it takes, especially a team that has so many new pieces, new coaching staff, some time to build that chemistry. Maybe it takes a year or two to come together. It came together really fast. And that's when I, I believe, like, oh, this has true potential. And as the season went on, just their compete, some of their some of the the way they played on the road they were awesome in fact they had a better road record than they did a home record which has to get better um i've definitely adjusted my expectations for for the kings going forward i, I think they have a huge bright future 
They've got guys kind of that around the similar age, Sabonis and Fox in their prime, playing at great a great level. I think they have a young guy in Keegan Murray who has potential to be an all-star in the next few years as he continues to develop. So you have that. You've got a good mix of guys. They all want to work hard. They play the right way. I'm definitely uh, optimistic about where things are headed for Sacramento. Deuce, one of the mega highlights, I think, for the casual and hardcore NBA fans was seeing the development of light the beam, seeing the the passion behind that and, and that start to happen. Can you, I mean, you mentioned the slow start to the season. When did things really start to ramp up and all of a sudden this light the beam becomes a huge thing and you're seeing this, this different home court vibe and home court passion for the Kings that, you know, I, I mean, was it just a matter of realizing that, Hey, we're competitive. Now we are, legit this season we are on top of the pacific division or was it even even a bit before that where this passion came from so the the passion has always been there i think this has been a tortured fan base you know sacramento it's a one sports town we're 90 minutes away from san francisco so you, you have fans in the area who are you know fans of the niners and football fans at the Giants or A's, right? Maybe they used to be Raiders fans before they moved to Vegas. But if you live in Sacramento, like, and the Kings mean a lot to you, right? If you have a connection with Sacramento. So even during the tough times, like the fans were still into it, but they were just frustrated. They, they've been thirsty. I mean, how many years I could think back to where the Kings had like a promising start. It's like, wow, they're, they're at 500 through the first eight games is, could they be a playoff team? And then, you know, it all falls apart. It's a mess. There have been moments throughout that 16-year drought where it felt like it was turning. But last year, you you felt like when they started rattling off winning streaks, like, okay, this is really coming together. And it was the way they were doing. It was the, the style of offense, I think, that fans connected with because it was reminiscent of the early 2000s Kings that took the NBA world by storm with their ball movement and their shooting. And, you know, that was a Kings team and, that 0102 season that won 61 games. So when you start having memories of those those early 2000s Kings that teams that contended for a championship and you're starting to see glimpses of that of that in that in this team you go, "Oh, yeah, we can connect with that." So the fans, I mean, it, it wasn't like they weren't selling out. I mean, people were coming out, people were into it, and the beam just it's crazy how it came together, right? Like the beam came out last year. You know, imagine if they would have decided to do that a couple of years ago. It probably doesn't catch on the same way, but it became such a cool thing because it's such a simple idea. You win a game and they shoot a laser into the sky that could be seen from, you know, 20 miles away uh, all throughout the valley. And you're going, this is amazing. And then you you have Kings fans who love it. They're chanting light the beam because that means win. But also you have people who are coming around from Sacramento going, wait, what's this beam about? (laughs) <laughs> and they want to know, and then they want to be a part of it. They start getting into it. And we're talking about after games, like fan, the buzzer would go off or fans would run outside because they want to take a picture or get video of right when the beam got shot off into the sky. And then after they clinched a playoff spot, Kings clinched in Portland on the road fans on an, after the game came down to golden one center popping champagne The beam was lit. They're taking video. It's just Sacramento is such a different environment. And I'm not just trying to gas it up because I feel like every fan base in the league goes, oh, we have the best fans. I'm not going to say the best, but I'm going to tell you this. This fan base was starved 
They're a passionate basketball town, and they just love this team. So do you see the rest of the teams of the NBA kind of ripping this off? Because I think it's something that is purely <laughs> unique to Sacramento. You know how you know people hop on the trends? They want to hop on the coolest thing. And I can just see the rest of the teams in this league just like yeah. ripping this off. <laughs> That's my you know, <laughs> I, you, I know damn well. You have to think that like once other teams saw this, They've got like their marketing teams. They're in a boardroom going, all right, what can we do? Is there something we can do? Can we drop a, a ball? Can we? Because you can't take the laser. Like, I mean, that's the beam's been done. You can't have like a light the beam chant in Milwaukee or, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Um, I was just going to say, they'll call it fire the laser. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think you can do a direct ripoff. I think they would get clowned too much, but I'm all about like, you. I mean, some fan like in Philly, they play that song when they win. You know that. Well, I don't even know how it goes. You know, I think you guys probably heard it. I, if it played, I would know. Um, so there's some traditions like that. You know, in L.A., I mean, they play "We Love L.A." for the Lakers. That's or I love it. Whatever that stupid song is that no one else likes. But um, no, you can't. You can't rip off the beam. No, you can't. Absolutely. So. I'm going to make a bad comparison here potentially, but one of the things I think that we see from last season, from recent seasons in the NBA with both the Kings and the Knicks, you're seeing some continuity payoff for these teams. Now the Kings, yeah. a little bit more success last year than the Knicks. You could argue um, in terms of their seating at least, but it, what changed with this Kings organization where they kind of just stuck to their guns and the moves that they were making. I mean, we saw some of the similar things with the Knicks kind of trying to build their own culture under Tom Thibodeau there. What changed specifically in Sacramento? Uh, I, I know, for example, I mean, there are a lot of questions around De'Aaron Fox and is he the point guard of the future or not? And it really paid off last season for them, them to wait and watch him flourish and develop. Yeah, I mean, if you're just talking about the moves that they made last offseason, I think, you know, just adding Kevin Herter and Malik Monk to the fold and then drafting mm. Keegan Murray, you know, I don't think I don't think they expected Keegan to be as impactful as he was from a shooting perspective. I mean, they drafted him number four, so they believed in him. But, you know, this this guy came in and was so underrated about what he was able to accomplish last year is, you know, most lottery picks if they are coming into the league, they're usually on losing teams, right? They're playing mid, big time mans. They may get numbers. They may not. They're losing a lot. Or if they're fortunate enough to be on a winning team, they're probably not in the rotation. They're playing spot minutes. Keegan Murray started a ton of games last year, right? Like he was their starter. He played 30 minutes a night. He set the NBA rookie record for most made threes in a season. I mean, some significant numbers, knocking down over 200 made threes, 40% shooting. The other guys who did that, I think it was Steph, Kevin Herter, his teammate, and Buddy Heald, I think is the other one. So pretty impressive to be able to do that as a rookie. So I think you, with him last year was a big addition. Malik Monk didn't shoot it efficiently all the time. But a guy that can come in and give you a spark off the bench with his ability to beat a guy off the dribble, attack, his effectiveness in the pick and roll game, and then at times just get red hot where you're like, oh, wow, he just dropped 40 plus points off the bench in a double overtime classic against the LA Clippers, right? So 
there's questions about Fox and Sabonis in that pairing, but the key was, could you put shooting around them? Could you put the right pieces around them to let those guys thrive, right? They may not be great shooters themselves, but can you put enough around them to, to make an offense thrive? And they had the best offensive rating in NBA history last year. So I think those moves were huge. And then this offseason, they decided, hey, like we're not going to go crazy here with the moves. We're going to try to tinker if the right move is there, but we're not going to hurt our salary cap situation. But one of the key moves they made was big, getting Sasha Vazenkov to come over. And that was a guy they got acquired at the trade deadline a couple of years back. You're wondering, is he ever going to come over? He won the EuroLeague MVP last year. He's a guy who has a quick release. He can shoot the three. So another weapon off the bench. He moves well off the ball, high IQ. He's a big time pickup. So I think a Kings team that showed that they had some depth last year got even deeper and in some ways more explosive. So what do you make of the Kings heading into this season? Matt and I were talking off air. Yeah. They're in such a competitive division uh, with the Pacific division. I yeah. know Lakers are getting tons of hype. Um, you always got, you know, the every year. Yeah, every <laughs> every and year. every year. So so what do you make of kind of the, the strategy heading into this season in terms of the Kings? Is is there is the objective, of course, is to win the division, but you seem some teams be like, Well, you want to rest the stars, just focus on the playoffs. Like, what is kind of the best, and especially if the in season tournament as well, yeah. another wrinkle into this whole regular season equation. So what do you think is kind of the best strategy for this team um heading into the, the season where expectations are high compared to previous years? Yeah, I mean, I think one key is for all teams, obviously, is to stay healthy. The Kings are really fortunate from a game's miss perspective. They're relatively healthy. Um, Sabonis was hurt all year. He had the hand injury. He decided not to have surgery. He suffered that injury around Christmas time last year. Didn't want surgery, played through it. He's awesome. Love that. Um, I think the strategy is you have to go out there and win your games every night. Don't play the like, well, let's like try to rest guys here. If you want to tinker minutes every once in a while, sure. I mean, be strategic in back-to-back situations or if you have a four game in five nights, but go out there and win. Um, I think when I look at the West right now, it's just as brutal as last year. I think there is a clear front runner in the West. It's Denver Nuggets. I don't think there's any disputing it. They won it last year. They brought back mostly the same team losing Bruce Brown, Brown hurts, but I think they believe they have others who could step up and fill the void. That's going to be a good team. They have their key guys. They've got Jokic. They got Murray. They got Porter. They're going to be legit. Um, after that, I'm going, I don't know. Like I play the game of who do you trust? Do we trust that, that the Suns are going to be great? Okay. I mean, if you say yes, I, I, my challenge is, is KD going to stay healthy? Yeah. Is Beal going to stay healthy? Those are questions. They have a new coaching staff and a ton of new players. Continuity matters. We say there's not a lot of continuity there. Okay. So I put them in. The, I don't, they can be great, but I don't think you could say you trust them. Memphis. Interesting. I don't know. Is Steven Adams healthy? When he went down, things changed big time. John Morant missing the first 25 games. I love the Marcus Smart edition. You can make a case. You start going down the list in the West, the Lakers. I like some of the moves they made. Everything hinges on LeBron and AD. Are those guys going to stay healthy? If they're healthy, yeah, they're going to be in the conversation. Of course they are. Um, that's where it gets hard. Golden State, the talent's there, but how does Chris Paul fit in? Does he start? Does he come off the bench? What's that look like? Him playing in a new situation? Is he going to have the ball in his hands? Is he going to be comfortable playing off ball? 
What's that adjustment look like? I think there are just so many questions about the West where you go, yeah, you can make a, a, a case for the Kings to be near the top of the West again this year, right? They were the number three seed last year. If they stay healthy, hell, maybe Denver's approach is different, right? And they go, yeah, we're, we're going to rest guys and focus big picture playoffs. Sacramento, there, there is a world that the Kings could get the number one seed. I'm not saying that means they're the front runner to win a championship or come out of the West, but there is a path for them to be the number one seed next year uh, if things go well for them, if they can build off last year, be a little better defensively. And there are like glimmers of hope where last year on the season, they were 24th in defensive rating, but they were eighth in defensive rating on the road, like 27th at home. With Mike Brown in the second year, with getting used to each other, better moments defensively in the playoffs, can they become a top 15 defensive team? If they can get into the that part of it, if they could be closing the gap a little bit and still be productive offensively, they're going to be really good in the West. So you just got to go out there and play. I feel like I'm yammering. I think I'm just getting excited for NBA season. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just, I'm pumped up. Let's go. I love it. And I think, too. I think perfectly reasonable takes there and do you get the sense i mean just with how things ended last season and yes an awesome season for the kings no doubt but do you get the sense i mean this team probably i would imagine just naturally feels like they have a ton left to prove i mean that's why i think if there's this question about you know load management or or whatever it may be it feels to me like the kings are going to be one of those teams with their foot on the gas through the season yeah um I think they have to have their foot in their gas for the season. I mean, that's just, I think that's just kind of their mindset too. I mean, Mike Brown and training camp was like, turn on the jets. And that was kind of <laughs> a mantra it seemed like for them where they didn't want to miss time. They wanted to play through things. Um, it's not going to be easy though. I mean, it's, and, and that's the other thing too. You think about like last year, teams weren't coming into Sacramento, at least early on thinking anything of it. Right. It's the Kings. And most of these guys, the majority of the NBA, like 95% of the players in the NBA, their entire time in the league, the Kings have sucked, right? Mm. Like, that's just the reality. You're not sneaking up on people next year. People know mm. about Aaron Fox. They know a little bit about Keegan Murray, Kevin Hurd, or Sabonis. But I do think for Sacramento, going through a playoff run together and doing it against the Warriors was so beneficial for them to go through that experience. They didn't play their best series. They didn't. They, offensively, it wasn't great for them, but they still went seven games toe-to-toe with, at the time, the defending champs. And there's stuff to learn. Like, my question is, all right, Kevin Herter, you couldn't shoot well during the playoffs because you had no legs. You're dealing with chasing uh, Clay Thompson around. It's tough. Can you get to an elite conditioning where you can handle that? Sabonis, they're giving you the mid-range. I know the hand was an issue for him last year. You can't hesitate with that. How they adjust with what teams present to them in the playoffs, because that's one thing about the playoffs, as you guys know, teams expose weaknesses. Weaknesses sometimes you don't even realize you had. They, they, the Warriors went, we're taking, off the, taking away that dribble handoff game because that's your bread and butter and that worked for you all year. We're not giving you that. We'll give you this. But the this, a Sabonis mid-range thing, was not something they were totally comfortable with. They were maybe overthinking it. So there's lessons to be learned there, and you just hope that those lessons were learned throughout this offseason and addressed in a way that they come back even better. 
So teams often don't admit, sometimes they do, but most of the times they don't admit when they have bad blood with another team. But it seemed like it got pretty chippy with the Kings and the Golden yeah. State Warriors. So when they when they play each other for the first time in this upcoming season, what do you think it's going to be like? Is it going to be kind of like they're going to downplay it, or do you think yeah. it's kind of like a bulletin board game they're going to be circulating on their calendar? I, you know, I'm a little bummed that they scheduled preseason games with each other and I, they do every year, but just from, a, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're so close. So it's easy to do some preseason games, but I almost wish they would just wait. Like for, we're not playing the Warriors in the preseason. We'll save it for the regular season, but those two teams play in Sacramento's home opener. Um, and wow. I expect that night is going to be, it's going to be crazy as far as like, is there bad blood? No, I don't think so. I think there's definitely when they get on the floor, I think both teams are going to be into it. I think it's they're going to be fired up. I mean, for a Sacramento standpoint, the last time they were in Golden 1 Center for a game was Game 7 when Steph Curry dropped 50 points, and they collapsed in the third quarter because of rebounding issues, and Steph did his thing. Like They, they felt that pain. Now their first time back in that building playing a regular season game is against that team. So um I, I'm excited to see what the emotions are like. Obviously, Draymond, he's just like that with any team in the playoffs. That's just that's who, what he brings to the floor. When he stomped on Sabonis after Sabonis grabbed his leg and then jumped on the bench and kind of went at the crowd a little bit, um, it was a wild scene. It was insane. I expect there's going to be that level of intensity, but I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd say bad blood per se. Who are you most concerned about in the rest of that Pacific division? You know, we, we kind of touched on each team a little bit, their pros and cons there. I mean, do you buy into a a Phoenix team that's really heavily reliant on that starting five? Um, Are are the Lakers, you know, they had that hot start to finish the season. I mean, fighting for their postseason lives there, but who who kind of strikes the fear in you the most if looking at the rest of that division? You know, that's a good question. Not the Clippers. I'm sick of talking about their team every year. So they're uh, gonna win a championship. Me and I and I like Kawhi and I like Paul George. I like some of their pieces, but I'm out for now. Like you gotta, gotta prove see it. On the court. Like, yeah, gotta see it. Prove prove me wrong. Um the Suns, I, I just, I have to see it too. I think there's a chance they could be a fun regular season team at time. When you have that much offense, you're going to be explosive. And, you know, it's going to be tough for teams if they are out there playing. It's like, dude, Katie, Booker, and Beal. I mean, Aiton, you know, is Aiton a little more inspired? He's not being coached by Monty Williams now, you know? Like, what what's that kind of look like? But I just don't trust it, as I mentioned. I would still say the Lakers and Warriors. You know, the Lakers, for me, what concerns me is like if AD's healthy and we saw stretches like when AD's out there in the playoffs and healthy, he's a, he's a monster. Like what he does defensively and the Kings struggle. They at least struggle at, at times in the playoffs dealing with some of that size. That that would be interesting. And I also like some of the moves they made. You know, I, I think I know Austin Reeves wasn't great with Team USA, but I, I like some of the growth I saw out of him last year. I think the addition of Gabe Vincent's a nice pickup. Um, so. I thought they did some solid things over the off season, but the Warriors to me are just scary because they've done it, you know? And that's why I was scared to death to, for the Kings to play them. Like, I was just like, look, it's going to be tough to beat this team because they have done it. Steph, he may be a year older, but this guy is better 
than he's ever been before. He's smarter than he's ever been before. It's just outrageous what he's done. And then, like, as much as I question the fit with Chris Paul at times, you do see a world where maybe he they stagger his minutes. Even if he does start, he staggers with the second unit. And is he able to, like, get something out of Jonathan Kaminga, right? Like, just him playing, those two playing together. Could they build some chemistry together? Moses Moody so, showed some flashes. Like, if they can get some contributions from those guys, and Steph is playing at a lot high level, Clay shows like he did last year, stretches of playing some really good basketball, they're, of course, frightening to me. And, and for the Kings, it's like, that's the team that beats you. Looney dominated you at times, right? Draymond had some big moments. So until you can beat them in the playoffs, yeah, you, they're, they're going to be a team I, I'm fearful of. We'll let you go on this. What aspect of the season that people are sleeping on in terms of what, what should people be watching to fans? I know a lot of talk about the in-season tournament, but there's anything else that you're seeing that like your casual NBA fan or just the mainstream networks they're missing that we should be on the lookout for. You know, I, I guess big picture wise with the league, I just, I, I just always challenge the league to highlight some of these up and coming teams sooner. Agreed. And I think I get it. I've had discussions with people involved. Like their goal is to get the most eyeballs on the product, right? When you're putting games on ESPN and TNT, those, those network execs want the LeBron Stephs. But my challenge is like highlight the up and coming teams. Like the Kings should have been on national TV more toward the end of last year. They played an exciting brand. It's not just Kings specific. I thought the same thing about Memphis when they were kind of rising. It's like, Highlight some of these young teams. You know what? I, you can have the marquee matchup, but put over the Orlando Magic a little bit. They've got some young talent. I want to throw them on TNT on a Tuesday night. I want to see how Bancaro matches up with Jason Tatum or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, those are the things I want to see. You know, I, I think the fans want to see it too. You know, I, I think it's important to highlight that as these teams are on the upswing, you know, and so that would be my challenge to the league. As far as like for the casual fan, I, I would just say watch all the teams. There aren't a lot of bad teams. If you're a casual fan, who is the crap team in the league? Like usually there used to be far more just really, really bad teams. You can make the case the Spurs aren't going to be as, you know, they're not going to be very good this year, but they've got Victor. I'm not a big fan of what the Hornets are doing, even though there's talent there. I just, I, I think that has a, it's a weird group, but my point is there's very few, like really awful teams in the league. This league is more talented than ever. You could turn on a game on a Wednesday night at four o'clock. It may be uh, Indiana, Toronto. You're going to see some really talented players. Watch the G league too. There's a lot of talent there. No, totally agree with you. Um, that was our theme last year as well. Just the league is stacked, and yeah. it's, even if you have a league pass subscription, you can't go wrong on any given night. Um, Deuce, this has been a fantastic chat. Thank you very much for joining us. Please let our audience know where they can find you on social media and then any other projects that you have working on as well. Yeah, check out our podcast. You can find it on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Deuce and Mo. Um, and we go live after Kings games, every Kings game, but also we're doing more NBA content this year. We're going to be live after some other games too. Uh, we just love hoops. We love talking hoops. We obviously love Sacramento because we're from Sacramento, but 
even when we go live after games, we sprinkle in other NBA. So check us out there. We do interviews too. We're wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere. You can follow me on social. Just search uh, Deuce Mace and you'll see me. Awesome. Deuce has been awesome chat. Thanks for taking some time. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Hoopsology presented by Boss Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.